Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Nehemiah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the high priest Eliashib set to work with his fellow priests and rebuilt the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set up its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And the men of Jericho built next to him. And next to them, Zachor, son of Imri, built. The sons of Asena built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set up its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakos, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, son of Meshabel, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, son of Baana, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Lucas. Thank you for reading scripture for us this morning. And I also want to welcome all of you here to National Presbyterian Church, glad that you have taken time to gather with us, and for those of you who are online with us, we welcome you also. We encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and look at the passage that we just heard. And I know, I have to admit it, there are chapters in the Bible that are just downright hard. They appear on the surface boring and colorless, and it's quite likely that Nehemiah chapter 3 would be put into this category because if you read all 32 verses, you well know all those names. They're hard to pronounce. The repetition, it just makes it a difficult read. And if you are new to reading the Bible, I want to forewarn you. First of all, I want to encourage you. Somebody said to me this week that they were able to read through all of the Bible in 2023, and I was so impressed when I heard that. If you're new to reading the Bible, let me just encourage you, let me warn you. There are these places in the Bible where you say, well, let me take the shortcut, let me take another route. because it's difficult to understand. And I've been there. I've been reading the Bible since I was the age of these conformants. And there was a season in my life where I didn't read the Bible, no matter how much my parents bribed me, I simply wouldn't pick it up. But somewhere around 17 years old, a light bulb went on, and I started to read the Bible. And I started finding places like Nehemiah 3, and I said, what is this? And I quickly flipped the page. 
So what should we do? What should we do with the Nehemiah 3s of the Bible? Let me just encourage you this morning. First of all, do not, do not skip these sections because I believe that God has something in these opaque, difficult sections that will help us. Let me give you two reasons why. First of all, one of my favorite passages from Proverbs chapter 2, and this is like a father or a parent speaking to a child. And this is what it says, My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, and I love this part, if you seek it like silver, search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then there is one in the New Testament that has a similar sort of resonance to it from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 where it says that all Scripture is inspired by God and it is useful. And I hope to convince you this morning that this passage that Lucas just read for us is useful as it provides teaching and reproof and correction and training and so on and so forth. So what do we find in this passage? Now, I didn't give all 32 verses for Lucas to read, but maybe you've read it and you know what I'm talking about. But Nehemiah 3 describes the rebuilding. If you're unfamiliar with this, with this scenario, Jerusalem has just gone through severe, severe destruction. I say just. 70 or more years prior, where this whole region had been torn down and destroyed by the Babylonians. Nehemiah now has this desire in his heart to come back to his land because he's living in another part of the world and he wants to come back home to help rebuild his country and one of the first things he wants to do is to rebuild the walls and set the gates back in place. So what you're reading in chapter 3 really begins at what's called the north end of this infrastructure, this temple grounds in Jerusalem, the north end of it. And the building project actually moves counterclockwise. They move from the sort of the northeast all the way down to the west to the south, back up to the east, and eventually back up to the top. What we just read in verses 1 through 5 really focuses on that section on the north end of the infrastructure. I want you to also know that this is not a weakened project. This is a massive project. And as you heard in the reading, just in this reading alone, some sections needed to be built from the bottom up, some sections needed to be replaced and repaired. But the scope of the work is massive. It's about two and a half miles, which could easily fit 11 professional NFL football fields. That is a massive area that needs work. Either way you examine it, this is a big project. The other thing I want you to notice, and you'll see it if you read all 32 verses, the people involved are listed by name. 
so that generations to come will pick up and read these words and they may see their ancestors in those passages or maybe they will just be inspired by the people who came before them and gave so much of themselves to rebuild their country. But there's one name missing. It's the name Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the leader. He starts it all. And yet when we get to this very important chapter, there really is no reference to this man. What happened? Where did he go? Did he abandon his people? Well, I think the focus, Nehemiah is a good leader. And the focus here is on the people. It's not about him. And some leaders need to learn that lesson. Some leaders have no problem showing up for the photo op after all the work's done and then take the credit as if they did the work. Those leaders often don't, don't last very long. But not this man. Nehemiah wants all of us, the readers, to know that without the people, this project is going nowhere. And so he removes himself and he takes the, the Kleeglites and he just focuses them on the people so that the credit goes to the people. The people, they are the heroes. So even before a stone is lifted up and set in place, even before a bolt is driven into the hinge to hold up a door, there are three wonderful assets that are given to these people in order for them to do the marvelous work that they've done. And I want to talk to you about them because they have meaning for us in our lives today. Those three assets, I call them, are clarity, unity, and something that I call favor. As you read through Nehemiah, Nehemiah often says that the gracious hand of God, that's what favor is. It's the hesed of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God rests upon us. It's those three things, those three assets that enable them to complete this momentous job. Let's just walk through them very quickly. One, the gift of clarity, and I call it a gift. And we see it first referenced in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, where Nehemiah said to the people, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, its gates have been burned down. And then he says to the people, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. And the people respond in the positive, yes, let us start rebuilding. And so they committed themselves to the common good. They committed themselves to the betterment of their own community and their own lives. This is not hard to see. What clarity does, it communicates an urgency. It communicates a felt need, a visceral need. And they could easily see through the clarity of Nehemiah's words that the rebuilding of Jerusalem was in their best interest. The rebuilding of the wall, the ruins around us, it was undeniable, it was that clear. But imagine if Nehemiah had said to them, look at the condition of the walls in Assyria. The capital of Assyria back then was Nineveh. Imagine if he had said to them, look at the conditions of the walls in Nineveh. Look at the conditions of the people. They're suffering. Let us now go and rebuild the walls in Assyria, in Nineveh. 
And if you understand the background there, these are enemies of Israel. If that would have been Nehemiah's request, there would have been no action. They would have rejected him. Nehemiah, you're on your own. See you later. But there was clarity here. There was a sense of clarity that drew the people in and they wanted to invest and the people were on the same page. Here's what clarity also does. Clarity drives away confusion. There's nothing more difficult than being asked to do something and you don't know what you're doing. Clarity drives away confusion. Clarity draws people in and they feel personally invested and they're motivated and they're engaged and they're more likely to put the effort in so that they can reach the goal. But clarity also answers the big questions. Why are we here? Somebody said, what are we doing? Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? We could just go back to Nehemiah's words and he could, you could hear them again. Jerusalem lies in ruins. We need to restore this area so that we can take disgrace and shame out of our lives. Oh, okay, I get it. The words of the, the Proverbs tells us that without clarity or without vision, the people throw off restraints. Clarity is so important. I don't know how many of you are listening to Dr. Quinn carefully in what he said about what's happening next Sunday. Not only do we have a world-class doctor coming to our church, not only do we have someone who has written an excellent book on a topic that many of us don't want to hear about, the topic of dying, but the flip side of that is what helps us to die well is when we have clarity. Clarity. The whole prospect of dying has a way of clearing all the clutter away. And you and I, if we care about living and dying, should also be asking ourselves these big questions, these big, big questions. Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? And when we can have clarity around those things, we not only live well, but when our dying days come, we will die. Well, this is the gift that these people of Israel had in their day. But they had another asset, and it's the asset of unity. And I call this the, the non-negotiable. I think back on my years as an athlete, and some of the best teams, the best teams that I served with, played with, struggled with, didn't have the superstars but what we had was unity. Those are my best memories of being on those teams because we were willing to come together as one. Not only were we wearing the same uniform, but we were looking at the same end goals and we experienced tremendous successes even though we didn't have the superstars on our team. It reminds me of the famous words of Ten Tenzing Norgay, that Nepalese Sherpa, who helped Edmund Hillary and their team to become the first to summit Mount Everest. Listen to what he said. And this relates to, to unity. You don't climb a mountain like Everest by trying to race ahead on your own 
or by competing with your comrades. No, you do it slowly, you do it carefully, by unselfish teamwork. It was only through the work and sacrifice of all that we had our chance of reaching the top. Unity. If you read the chapter, you will see that there were some signs of unity, and we heard it in the reading. The fact that the spiritual leaders stepped out first. When the call was given, come, help us build, the first group that stepped out were the leaders. And I remember all the years I served in Chicago when we had opportunities to take on big projects, when we had opportunities to lead our congregation in giving and serving. I often said to the leaders of our congregation, listen, our elders, our deacons, our trustees, our lay leadership, I would say to them, let us not ask the congregation to give if we're not giving. Let us not ask the congregation to do something that we are not doing or we are not involved in. One of the signs of leadership in this passage is that when the call was given, the high priest and his fellow priests got dirt under their fingernails, scuffed their, 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 their hands, helping to rebuild the wall. Why the sheep gate? Well, it was the gate through which worshipers would bring their sheep that led right into the temple where the sheep would be sacrificed. I think it's critical that as we launch any effort and endeavor for God, that maybe one of the first things we want to do is to worship this God who has given us this opportunity. Leaders always go first in everything. They don't just lead with rhetoric. They get dirt under their fingernails. They walk the talk. But the other sign of unity is that this group was not an homogenous group. They were not all from Jerusalem. They were from all over. They were not a monochrome group. Not everyone was working on the same area. Not everyone had the capacity to do the same amount of work. We had the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, the rulers, the administrators, the goldsmiths. If you read through carefully, there were the perfumers. How could perfumers show up at a work site like that? Because they were all in it together. They were unified. But then you get to the last verse that we heard read, verse 5, and we find out that not everyone was unified. We read that the Tekoites, they made repairs, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Doesn't surprise us, does it? In every endeavor, whether you're doing a project at home, you're doing a project at work, you're doing a massive project here at the church, there will be some who stand aside and say, sorry, you're on your own with this, we don't support this decision, and they step back. This is the only time in this passage where we read of individuals who said, count me out, we don't support this work. And you say, well, why? Why would these people do it? Why did they, these nobles, pull away? And the more I read into those who have really studied this passage much better than I could ever study it, I found out that Tekoa 
is a town, a small town, about six, seven miles south of Jerusalem. Tekoa is a town where the famous prophet by the name of Amos came from. Well, why did they not participate then? They have such credentials. Why did they hold back? Well, one reason might be because of fear. Because where they were located at this time, there were other foreign rulers who had come in, taken over parts of the land, and they were afraid of what might happen to them if they're seen going up to Jerusalem to support the rebuilding of this land. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was pride. After all, I'm a noble. I'm a person of standing. I'm not going to get dirt under my nails. It might have been they had a problem with Nehemiah. But for whatever reason, there was a group that said, we're not going to participate. But what we've got to remember is that anytime we launch a project, we will never get a 100% endeavor. But there were people in this chapter, over 40 different work groups, put their shoulders to the wheel, put their, stuck their neck out for the work of the Lord and the goldsmiths, and the perfumers. And I read in chapter 12 about a man by the name of Shalom who brought his daughters to the work site. All kinds of people involved in the building up and the restoration of this land. This long list, and that's why it's important. It shows us what God's people are capable of when they work together. The National Presbyterian Church, in this time in which we find ourselves, we live in a divided country, a politically divided country, a racially divided country. We need the body of Jesus Christ to be unified. We have to lay aside those differences and focus on the big picture. Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? And once we've identified that, lay away, lay aside those incidentals and focus on the task at hand. And then one last asset, God's favor rested on the people. Over and over you'll see this phrase, that the hand of our God was upon us. You know, when I was a teenager, going to our church in Jamaica. I don't remember all the sermons that my pastor preached, preached but I do remember him saying these, this phrase over and over again, particularly when we were receiving the offering. He said, little is much when God is in it. And I love that. As I've gotten older and more mature, I get it now that God can use all of us we don't bring the same capacity. We don't bring the same level of energy, but whatever you bring, the widow's might, what Nehemiah is showing us, what the scriptures are showing us is that God will take whatever you have to give and multiply it. The favor of the Lord was upon them. And it's good to know that, my friends, because Nehemiah is a flawed human being. The people who are working with Nehemiah, they are flawed human beings. And when the project was over, you didn't find Nehemiah's name inscribed anywhere. 
You didn't find the people going off and forming some kind of coalition saying that it's because of us why this project was completed. No, they gave the glory to God. They recognized that without God, the project, the objective would have failed. So before I take my seat, let me leave you with two big takeaways from this passage that I find relevant for us. The great preacher John Stott talked about a time in his congregation as he would preach God's word. And if you've ever heard John Stott preach, he is a master expositor of scripture. He said one day a group of young people in the church came up to him and told him and said, we appreciate your preaching. We appreciate what you have to say. But so often we struggle to find out how what happened in the Old Testament or the New Testament, what happened centuries ago, how does it relate to us living in London? And he said that really shook him to his core. He wrote a book. It's called Between Two Worlds. And he says what we must do when we read the Bible is do all that we can to locate ourselves in the world of the Bible, try to understand what it means. And once you've done that, he says, then you build a bridge to the world in which you live so that you can take those enduring principles of Scripture and apply them to the everyday circumstances of your life. That has stayed with me throughout my time as one who preaches scripture to bring these two worlds together. And so these are the two takeaways I leave with you because it's difficult to read Nehemiah chapter three and not hear echoes of what Paul says about the church. And I went to Romans chapter 12 verses four through eight, and here's what I found. And you tell me if you don't hear echoes of the Old Testament in the New Testament and the New Testament in the Old Testament. Listen, listen to what Paul says, Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members. We have many members, and we just witnessed a group of high school young men and women who are now part of the membership, the body of our congregation. We have many members Here's what he says, not all the members have the same function. And so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. And then he explains what he means by that. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. What are some of those gifts? Well, prophecy, in proportion to your faith, use that gift. Ministry. In proportion to your faith, minister, teaching, then teach, exhortation and encouragement, then encourage. Some of us, Paul says, have the gift of generosity. Your heart overflows when you give. Paul says, then if that's your gift, then give with generosity. Some of us are leaders. And if that's your gift, Paul says, lead with diligence. And some of us have the gift of compassion and mercy. And if that's your gift, do it cheerfully. The bottom line is, it's the body of Christ. Different gifts, different people. And we bring all of that together 
and we accomplish great things in the name of the Lord. And that's why I love the church. And that's why I pray for our church because this is not the time to pull away from the body. This is a time for us to come together as the body of Christ. Lots of decisions to be made. Lots of things that we're going to be doing, and you may not agree with it. But because you're part of this body, you're, you're going to support it. But there's one other takeaway I want you to, to hold on to. And it comes to us from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. I have it on the screen for you. Here's what it says. Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its food in summer, gathers its sustenance in harvest. A lesson from the ants. I call it embrace your inner insect. Now, when I see ants, I want to spray them. I don't welcome them. But Proverbs says, when you see ants, don't spray them. Study them. Learn from them. Maybe that's one of the lessons Nehemiah wants us to hold on to this morning. It's the principle of the ants, these tiny creatures. You give them time. They accomplish huge feats, disproportionate to their size, because they do it in unison. They do it together small steps over time. Henry Ford said a similar thing, that nothing is particularly hard. If you divide it into small jobs, nothing is particularly hard. And the ants teach us that. And this construction area was massive. We're talking about 11 football fields. But they attacked it in little groups, little sections over time, finishing the job. What are we trying to build? Well, thankfully, we're not trying to build anything these days. The building days of this church are behind us for a while, at least the physical building. And we thank God for all the folks who served on that team, from the pastors to all of our lay congregational members who dreamed big, raised a lot of money, and have renovated this space so that it's much more user-friendly, much more inviting for the ministries that we believe God is calling us to. So we're not building anything right now, but we are building a church. Not the physical plant anymore, but the body. That's what we're into now. We're building up the body. If you look at our bulletin cover, it has the mission statement of our church emblazoned on the front leading people to become faithful followers of Jesus Christ together in the world. That's what we're building here. That's what we're focused on. We're trying to be a church that makes disciples, who make disciples, who impact the places where they live and serve and work and make a difference in the DMV. That's what we're trying to build. And if we're going to reach people, we need you then to join us in that endeavor. Bring your friends to this place. Invite them because there is something wonderful going on in this community. The life of God pulsates through this place. 
And that's what we're building. Back in July of this year, I offered up this call. I asked you to join me in praying, and I know some of you are still praying, that by the end of this year, December 23, 2023, that God, through the Holy Spirit, will bring to National Presbyterian Church an unmistakable increase of people of all ages and colors and backgrounds who are praying for more love, who are coming to Jesus, who are hearing his words, who are acting on them, and we believe that it's happening. We just saw it this morning. Look at these wonderful young men and women. I don't think they got paid to do what they did. Mom and Dad, did you pay them anything? Please say no. <laughs> I want to believe that these young men and women are here in response to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Later this month, we're going to welcome a group of new people who went through the pathway class. Many of you, our sister Leslie Psalm and her team were involved in this. About 20 people sat in a room on the second floor in the garden room, and I had the privilege of meeting them. Some of our pastors here had the privilege of meeting these folks. Where are these people coming from? What is drawing them to this place? Why are they coming here? We want to believe it's because of you, your prayers, your engagement, your welcoming spirit. You are part of the team here that's helping to build up this congregation so we can be more than just a building on the hill. We are this community of saints who are making a difference in the place where God has planted us. Next year is going to be fascinating. You don't know this, but before 2024 is over, we will put to bed the remainder of our capital campaign. We're going to wrap that up in 2024. Where is the money coming from? Where is the generosity coming from? We'll keep praying. Little as much when God is in it, and I believe that by the grace and the mercy of God, this facility and the work that we did will be debt-free. Why am I saying that? In all those ways, this is the church that we're building. So I invite you to come and build with us. If you have lost your mojo, you have lost your passion, you have more gripes than grace toward national, I'm going to invite you to come and let's talk about it. Let's figure it out because God is doing something very special here at National Presbyterian Church, but we're going to do it together as a people. We have clarity about our mission. We know why we're here. We know what we're doing. We know where we're going. We want unity, which is a very precious commodity, and we must pray that the favor of the Lord Almighty God will rest upon us as we do his awesome work. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. You are working in our midst. You are working in the hearts of our, our teenagers. We thank you for every one of them who stood up 
and confessed you as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for all of our visitors here this morning. You are doing something special, Lord, and we give all the glory to you. We thank you again for your son, Jesus, who is Lord of this body, this team that we call National Presbyterian Church. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. God's people say, Amen. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprez.org. That's nationalprez.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.